We're going to take a look at how do we as believers, Christians, one who want to follow the way of Jesus, place faith in Him, how do we live as exiles while not living like psychopaths? We talk about that, right? Because if you go either way with Christianity, you miss Jesus. If you go too radical either way as a separatist or as a, oh, the world is, either way, you miss the gospel. So we want to see right what Jesus is talking about. And we're actually going to be studying a lot in the book of Daniel, a bit of the gospels, and the book of Revelation as we kind of maybe prepare, because it's all in there. And we want to see with clear eyes. So I'm going to pray. Today's the intro, big introduction in this little series. And the kind of the series I'm working with is how to live as an exile. Because we're exiles. We've been freed, I'm already preaching, from the bondage we were born into, placing our faith in Jesus. Now we're spiritually alive, and we can see now, right? We can see what's happening and going on. Not in a weird way, not in a like Merlin hat way, but in a gospel way. So let me pray, and we'll dive into this little section of Daniel, and we'll, we'll keep going for a few weeks. Father, help me and help us. Thank you for this beautiful building. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the resources provided to update it and take some old tiles out. Thank you for the hard work of many people, those from Iglesia Baptista as well. Thank you for bringing us back from the Mexican border. And I pray for our people as well that you would send them to those who need it. Give me grace now. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Deb read, we don't have a screen, so I'm just going to read it. You can get there in your Bible, Daniel. Uh, chapter 1, the first couple verses, or on your smartphone or tablet, I will not judge, because I'm using an iPad right now, right? In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. That's weird. Right? Yahweh, the God of the universe, said, you can have my king to a pagan king. That's exactly what happened. I'm going to give him to you. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. What happened? Quickly, history lesson. About 587 B.C., Egypt was on the downslide. They were the predominant empire before that. And Babylon, this other kingdom, was on the rise. Maybe about 580 B.C. we would have saw on CNN. Egypt stock market crashes. Babylon is taking off. What are we seeing? Not right. But there's this thing happening, right? And King Nebuchadnezzar comes to power. And in the year 587, I went the wrong way. It would have been 594 because we count down. 587... Nebuchadnezzar comes to Jerusalem and says, city done. Temple done, city done. All the people worth taking back as servants or slaves come here. The rest is kind of on your own. And that's what's happened when Daniel begins to document and write. God's people, the Hebrews, were taken into exile. They were taken to a place which was not their home and not their land, and they were there for quite a while. Now we think, because of human nature, that if we were taken into exile and we were God's people, we would probably think what? It'll be a quick discipline. It'll be a little spanking. We'll go there for like six weeks. Maybe a year. We get it. I get it. Remember how long they were in exile? They were 
hold up your video that long? 70 years. And the other's gone, right? If that were the case, so that's, all of us would probably die next time. If we were we're gone. That springs weight to it, right? So it's not a little matter. God is doing something. And the reason why I want to study this theme of exile is for a couple reasons. I mentioned a couple that we as older Christians, it's our should be our burden to model this living in this tension between how do we live as exiles in America or Russia or China while we have allegiance to Christ for the younger generation but it's a time told tale that God showed us almost 2,500 years ago to remind us that hey, you can live by faith whatever country you live in it's possible In many ways, God allowed his people to go into exile to reorient their hearts and minds and to shape them. A couple of amazing things happened when they were in exile. Does anybody know when the Hebrew people got their Hebrew Bible? I just gave it away. When they were in exile. Before the people went to exile, they mainly lived by the Torah, the law. First five books. That's fine. But in exile, in that 70 years... They put together Psalm, Proverbs, the wisdom literatures. They put together some of the writings of the prophets. And they had a much larger sacred text while in exile. While in exile, God dealt with a lot of their idolatry issues. And even though they came out and weren't perfect, it appears from the scriptures, idolatry was kind of saved because of their experience where? In exile. So God was in many ways using this disaster to portray a beautiful picture of what it was like to walk by faith in a foreign land. If you're a Christian, America is not your eternal home. San Carlos or Belmont or San Mateo or San Jose or Tahoe or New York is not our eternal homes. Spiritually, we are exiled, and that's good news. And God uses this account of his people and writes it down for us to go, let's learn from this. Both the book of Daniel, and as I talked about the last two weeks, and the book of Revelation show us how to remain faithful to God while living in pagan culture. Now let me just shatter an ocean. America is not a Christian culture. I just want to shatter that if you still believe that. How do you know that, Dave? Our biggest internet export is what? Pornography. But we're not going to we make 300 more time adult movies than we do Hollywood movies. So that's our, that's our culture, and I'm not, but, but let's just shatter that paradigm that we have Christian tenets that we were kind of founded with. But what usually happens when powerful men, ladies, I'll put again most of the time, ascend and superpowers are formed, much of the time we compromise, right? It's only by the grace of God that we as men and leaders and women too would remain faithful to Jesus. So, we can learn from this. Now, Pastor Dave, are you saying you hate America? Does Pastor Dave hate America? I love America. I'm glad I was born in America. It is the best attempt at a government I would argue the world's ever seen. But it is not the kingdom of what? Heaven. 
It is not the kingdom of Christ. And we are called to be in allegiance to our King Christ above all else. And here's where we're going to get to. We're not called to be psychopaths about it. What does Paul say in Corinthians? When non-believers come, I don't want them to leave think all of you need That's literally what he says. That's what, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little paraphrasal, but he's like, I want there to be order and some structure. So if a non-believer came in, they would go, okay, okay. I kind of get what you're doing and the different things you're doing and the way you worship. But we're also not called to be whimsical people who have our head in the sky and are not invested in our country. I'll get to what you should be doing. So there's a balance. There always has to be a balance. When we have Jesus in no balance, we're usually what? In a cult. That's the truth. Daniel doesn't want that. God doesn't want that. The temptation for these Hebrews who went to exile was to what? Become what? Babylonian. That was a temptation. If you're going to be somewhere for 70 years, it's going to be really easy just to become one of them, right? It's going to be easier financially probably. It's going to be easier physically. It's going to be easier with your family structure, which might change. But that was the temptation, and Daniel's writings and others show them, don't do it. Don't do it. And again, I have it in here. This is especially vital for our young people to see in us to model. So as they grow, they can see what fidelity, faithfulness to Jesus in any nation looks like, right? So I'm going to try and do an Old Testament history lesson in seven minutes. Pray for me real quick. No, I'm kidding. Okay, here we go. I'm going to try and go Exodus to exile in eight minutes, maybe seven, maybe six. Here we go. Moses to Daniel in seven minutes. A famine struck Abraham's family. What happened? They went to Egypt, remember? There's no food here. They met Joseph, remember? The one that was cast off and sold. Grace was upon them for a season, but after a couple of generations, what happened to the Hebrew people in Egypt? They become immigrants. They were immigrants. They became slaves. And they were the chief workforce, right? And they built bricks and different things. And what happened? Pyramids went up and great buildings went up under Pharaoh. I looked it up this week. Anybody know what the, where the name Hebrew came from? It's not coffee, Hebrew. That's a joke, right? That's a Christian joke that you get away with from the pulpit. Anybody know? The name Hebrew is literally, in its original, one from far off. Because they had God's provision in Abraham's family, yet they were in Egypt, so they were the foreigners in some way. They were the ones from far off. And over time, they groaned. They didn't pray. The scriptures don't say they pray. They groaned to God. We're your people. We're slaves. Help us. We know that God heard their groaning and sent who? Sunday school time. Moses. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's home. Moses was different, but he was adopted. Moses went out and saw the griping of his people. It actually took vengeance in his own hands, just like he was raised just as Pharaoh showed him to do, when someone is against you, you kill them. Is that God's way? No, that's the world's way. He killed a man, and then he ran for 40 years. Went out and became a shepherd, got married, then God met him at the burning bush. You know the rest of the story. What did he say to Pharaoh? 
Let his people go so they can worship him. The great I am has spoken. Pharaoh must have been thinking, wait a minute, I believe in a million gods, and the God of the far off ones has come to me and asked me to let them go. Ha! And the scriptures say what? Ten plagues came, and by the tenth one, Moses said, get out of here. All the while wanted to kill everyone, and that didn't happen. So that is what? The exodus. On another note, just because I want to put it out there and make us think. That's the picture of the exodus. How might that have been read in 1952 in Montgomery, Alabama? I think in front of Aslan, I get a lot of questions in my head. But I'm white. That's all I'm saying. I don't have the answers. But the scripture speaks to people and speaks to Christians through generations. That story probably has a lot more power and insight than to me. And I want to get there. I want all the power and insight. So these people are let go. And over a period of time, they wander. How many years? We think like 38 to 40 years. It's, I, saw, I saw a meme. You guys know what a meme is? It's a picture online that has like one or two sentences. And you're like, oh, that's ironic or funny. So they Google mapped um, Egypt. Cairo area in the promised land and it, you can walk it in six days now. And the meme was, what was wrong? And the meme was, if Moses was my leader, you could have him back. Ha, ha, ha. The point was, God was maturing them in the desert, right? They were there for 38 to 40 years. And lots of people passed on and a new generation was, was raised and they went to the promised land. Side note, even when going to the promised land, what was God's command, if you remember? Burn the chariots and hamstring the horses. Don't hurt them, but make sure they don't become war machines. Because what God was doing in his promised land was, I'm going about things a different way. Chariots back then were tanks. And horses were... Hummers, like the trucks, you know that you do, with the gun. <laughs> Humvees. Okay. And God said, do away with it. Not my new land. God was doing something new with this nation. Over and over, idolatry was taking place. And even in the golden age of Israel, who was the golden king? Do you remember? He wrote Proverbs. Solomon. Even in the golden age, idolatry was happening. Anybody ever read Kings or Chronicles? Kings and Chronicles parallel each other. Kings is like a Facebook post. This is what happened. Chronicles is like when 60 Minutes showed up. Chronicles does a bit of, what is it called? Investigative journalism. Chronicles asking questions. And so Solomon starts off well, but as we don't see in Kings, but we see in Chronicles, God is wanting his people to be salt and light, to worship him alone, and to act justly to all. That's the goal. That's the gospel. The gospel's come to fruition. We had to be redeemed for that to happen. We know that. But he wants to be worshipped as one God and to treat neighbor as what? Thyself. Always. And he ultimately wants his nation in the promised land to be salt and light. 
But even in the golden age, Solomon's splendor, he built a magnificent temple. The rumor on the street, it was gorgeous. But one of the problems was his house was more gorgeous. Who did he maybe want to be like? Solomon. Start with the P and the H. Is that right? What was the problem with the nation? They were obeying God or trying to, but they were always looking around going, I want to be like them over there. That's how they got king. We want to be like everybody else. We're not satisfied with worshiping God alone and treating others as we would have been treated or want to be treated. Solomon built the temple. He built other temples. Why would Solomon build other temples? Pagan temples. Why would the king of the Hebrews, the Jews, build other temples? How many men are married? Has your wife ever asked you to do something you kind of really want to do what she just did? You can meet her my church. She's not okay. <laughs> Solomon asked that on her wife. So how many temples might have been constructed of pagan deities just to make peace or whatever peace looked like? Many. And the scriptures, chronicles especially, also attest to Solomon's stables, a myriad of beautiful horses which were forbidden in the Torah. So even in the golden age, even in this land that was given, there were still issues. All of this to say by 587, that's the lead up, I almost got there, it was nine minutes, to King, I call him King Nebi, King Nebuchadnezzar coming in and taking the people out. In exile, in God's grace and goodness, he heard their prayers, and large amounts of people returned to the Lord. Again, they got their Bible in exile. They began writing other things and seeking the Lord. And in the same time, Jeremiah writes to them. The north has already been besieged. The south went. They're in exile from the south. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, with the word of the Lord, is writing to the people in exile under King Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah 29. Let's read it just a little bit. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the serving elders of the exiles and the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar has taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So I'm writing to you, exiles. That's what he says. Verse 2, Jeremiah 29. This was after King, big names, Jeconiah, the queen mother of the eunuchs, the official of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. So Nebuchadnezzar's strategy was, anyone who was good at anything, come with me. That's smart, right? Verse 3. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shapham, the Gemariah, the son of Helica, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah's giving a paper trail. And look what he says in verse 4, Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here we go. Verse 5. Build houses and live in them. Whew. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, the Lord says, and do not decrease. So the first commandment is, don't become a separatist in Babylon. 
don't have a holy hell in Babylon. Hebrews, expand, multiply, live, do what you would do back at home and honor to the Lord. So what's the first commandment we see? Don't separate yourself into a small cult and become an enemy of the state, per se. The first commandment is right there. You've been exiled, you're in Babylon, and when you don't want to be there, you're going to be there for a long time. But do this. No homes. Meet your neighbor. Even if he's a Babylonian or she's a Babylonian. Hey, this is a nice piece of land, right? Can I go over here? What's your name? Oh, you have kids? Oh, I have two kids. We worship Yahweh. We'll tell you about it. Give your family away. Receive people. Don't be so concerned with racial divide and all these things. That's the first commandment. Can we learn from that in America? We can learn. That's why we're going to do this series. That's the crux. And there's one more commandment we'll finish up. Verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for its welfare will be your welfare. You see the two commandments? Get involved in where you've been sent. Be good citizens. Honor the government. Pray for your city where I send you. That's how God will provide for you, even where in Babylon. That's amazing words from 2,500 years ago to people who are in exile. Now here's the tension. John 3, as we finish. For God so loved the what? We can debate on the world forever. They've been doing it for 2,000 years. Okay. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will receive eternal life. That's the short version. You guys remember 17? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And we say what? Amen. What is the world? It's everything good that God has created. People are a part of that. His plan. His earth is good. The animals are good. One of the reasons we might have to change the structure of our baptism is 440 gallons. We'll think about that in California. The desert is moving north in California. You guys get that? Not really, but water. But those things are good. But the same author, the same writer, writes an epistle, 1 John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Here's the whole series. I want to see if God will show us how to live in that tension, right? I love the world and what I mean. I love people. I died for them. But the world systems and the way it is damaging to our soul. Don't love that. And the Christian walk in America or the Philippines or Russia or China is to live in that tension. Not as a separatist who might be a loony bin and not as an apathetic someone with the head in the sand, but in the middle. That's how we live in exile. That's how we walk the Calvary Road. And that's what we're going to study the next few weeks. There's a great tension, folks. We are called to love everything good in this world with our lives if it costs us. And at the same time, we are called to 
be against anything abhorrent. In my opinion, and I'll be clear from the Bible, the fact that we export more pornography than anybody in the world is abhorrent to me. And I want to do everything I can to minister to whoever's in that. But the people who are in that got created. The people who are in that and make money off that got on multiple levels loved. And that's the tension of being a Christian. That's the tension of living in a secular country. How many countries in the world are secular according to those standards? All of them. And we're called to live as exiles. And we'll get there. We'll look at Daniel with other scriptures. We'll look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know those guys. And here's the last part of promise I know about. We are called to live the same way Jesus did. Jesus was a rebel. Jesus lives subversively in some ways to the glory of God. But it's usually not the way the empire does, right? It's the way the kingdom does. And how did Jesus live as a rebel? Instead of calling chariots and tanks, he spread his arms open and said, take my life. Instead of placing a tally on anger, he said, forgive him. The empire doesn't know how to react to that. The world doesn't know how to react to that. Instead of saying, stone her, she is a harlot. He said, forgive her. If you haven't sinned, go ahead and stone her. And that's the way how we live in this tension. We'll learn more about that. Thank you for battling the heat and the concrete and the different chairs. It'll look a little more like home, even though I just preached on we should really be home next week. That's, that's kind of fun. I'm going to pray. we got some goodies across the way. Um, I don't know if I have anything else. Um, let me pray, and we'll continue our Sunday. I'm hot. Is anybody else hot? Is it nice in here? It's cold in here. It's cold in here. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Let's pray for our healer then. Okay, here we go. Bob, thank you for today. Thank you for this year, folks. Thank you for the history of your people, both the Hebrew people and the early church we didn't get to today. Thank you for this tension, almost this creative tension where we can see what you have done, see what you have prescribed in your teachings, Jesus, and we can walk in that, mold our hearts, teach us how to love the things of this world that are good, and also teach us how to respectfully and lovingly abstain from the things that are meant to harm and tear apart. Father, for whatever reason, I pray for marriages in this room today. I pray that you would continue to knit together strong unions that would forgive and humble themselves and love you. As we go about our business, uh, be gracious to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.